question, are we united in prayer? Are we devoted as a church, rushing along together toward dependence in Jesus? I had such a sweet time at 11.30 a.m. every day this week, thinking about you guys and praying with you guys. And today we're going to consider another question. A potentially uncomfortable question. Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit? We see in Acts chapter 2. Before we get there, I'm going to ask a few questions about Tony Hawk. (laughs) Raise your hand if you know who Tony Hawk is. Great. (laughs) Raise your hand if you think you know what Tony Hawk looks like. Okay. Raise your hand if you're sure that if you saw Tony Hawk in the Kroger on Veterans Parkway, that you would know it was him. I'm glad that there was some trepidation there because that's kind of Tony Hawk's whole thing now. So if you follow him on social media, and I don't, but it's so popular it can show up in your feed anyway, uh, he has discovered later in his life that everybody knows his name and few people know what he looks like. It's like the joke that Tony Hawk makes now. It showed up in my feed this week. He was was checking out, somebody saw his name. Hawk, like the professional skater? Yes. Huh, I wonder what he's up to these days. This. (laughs) That was his post. And it happens, you go look him up, it happens to him all the time. They see the name, they know the name, they recognize the name, they're standing in front of him and they don't know it's him. I wonder what he's up to these days. That's hilarious when it comes to Tony Hawk. Less funny when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Um, Man, the Holy Spirit, I wonder what he's up to these days. We think we know. Man, don't we almost always think we know. And don't we often not know. That's, I really want us to be honest with ourselves this morning. That we tend to have, we tend to be convinced that we know who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and what he doesn't do. And we bring, he could, is it possible that we could stand right in front of Tony Hawk and not know it? So what we're going to look at the encounter of the early church, the first encounter of the, of the early church with the Holy Spirit. It is fascinating. It is theological. It is powerful. And so we're going to read a chunk of Acts chapter 2 together. And we're just going to look a little bit at the Spirit of God today and ask ourselves if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And actually, we may need to ask ourselves as we, as we dig into this, Do we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or is it too strange? Because it's strange. We'll get there in a moment. Let's read the first few verses of Acts chapter 2 together. When the day of Pentecost, I'm so excited about this, guys. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house inside where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And strange, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it only gets stranger. 
Today we're looking at the moment that when the power that was promised by Jesus actually arrived in person. So many times throughout his ministry, both before and after he resurrected from the dead, Jesus promised that this moment would happen. He would send his spirit, that his power, as we talked about three weeks ago, would lead to a greater power. But before we get into the power itself, I want you to see some of the theological implications of this. So the first thing I want us to see today is that the coming of the Holy Spirit is theological. It's going to get strange. First, it's theological. So these flying flames here in Acts chapter 2, they're not just an interesting way for God to get people's attention. I want you to notice a few things about what God is doing here. And the first is that Luke records that the Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost. This is very cool because... Pentecost was considered the anniversary of when God gave the law to his people at Mount Sinai. So on the day they commemorate when the law was given, the Holy Spirit is given. So by pointing out that Pentecost took place, or that Pentecost was the day when the Spirit's arrival took place, Luke shows us that the coming of the Holy Spirit is in alignment with God's purposes in giving the law and that things are about to be different going forward, right? Because Jesus told us that he came to fulfill the law. He made a way for us to be restored to God and to live in God's presence again. The law showed us that we could not live in God's presence. That was kind of the whole point, that we can't do it. But Jesus kept the law. He died in our place. And then he sent his presence to his people. That's what's happening at Pentecost. The presence of God being given to the people of God on the anniversary of the law being given to the people of God that showed them they couldn't have the presence of God. The second thing I want to note is that the spirit came directly to the individual believer. So remember, this is... This is core, beautiful core to our faith. Remember that the presence of God in the Old Testament was a corporate presence prior to Pentecost. God was in the tabernacle, right? He was in the cloud. He was in the mercy seat. He was near, but his presence was always corporate and it was always external. But on Pentecost, the presence of God comes to each follower of Jesus. The text said they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. So the fire separated, communicating the decentralization of the presence of God. So it was moved from being a corporate, external presence to an individual, internal presence. Each one of us right now in one of these gray chairs that has a relationship with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ has the indwelling spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us as an individual. It's unbelievable. So that's what's happening on Pentecost. The law has been completed in Jesus. His spirit has been sent as promised to his disciples. And now his presence dwells within his followers. And everything about it is very weird. That's the second thing I want us to see together. The power of the Holy Spirit is strange. We've already seen indoor rushing winds. 
spreading tongues of fire. That's, if that happened right now, we would be uncomfortable, probably. I'd love for it to, but I think we would be. But it keeps going, so let's keep reading. Next verse, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And then he lists off all the nations that are there. And then we pick up, he says, they were all astounded and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they are drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken. (laughs) It's only nine, guys, calm down. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servant in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. Basically, everything about that is strange, isn't it? They begin speaking in different tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. The people gathered and heard them speaking in their own language. I know of former independent Baptist that that happened to on a mission trip. He's speaking in English, people heard it in Spanish. People gathered, they heard them speaking in their own language, they're astounded, they're perplexed, they're confused, the Bible said. They said, aren't these people drunk? But that's not all. The work of the Holy Spirit is strange work. We've got to start with that uncomfortable fact. It's strange work. So Peter gets up and he's like, hey, let me just explain. But he only makes it weirder. He says when the Holy Spirit comes, there's going to be prophecies from the Holy Spirit and visions from the Holy Spirit. There's going to be dreams from the Holy Spirit. And it's all very strange. And sometimes we struggle with strange and you might be struggling with strange even right now as you hear it. But here's my simple question for us as we look at the coming of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. As we wrestle with the promise that we have that Holy Spirit and we're supposed to do the great things of Jesus, here's the question. Shouldn't we expect the work of the Holy Spirit in this world to be strange? Shouldn't that be a little bit uncomfortable? If you read what we just read and you think, that doesn't seem right, you're right. The Holy Spirit's work isn't normal, isn't right for a physical world because it's spiritual work. Nothing about what we just read is right for this world. The Holy Spirit's activity will always seem strange in our natural world due to the fact that it's supernatural activity. Imagine if you took a sea lion out of the ocean and asked it to chase gazelle in the Serengeti. 
That's going to be strange. Because it's a sea lion, not a land lion. It's not functioning in its natural environment, right? And if you do happen to see a sea lion take down a gazelle on an African plain, then you have witnessed something supernatural. (laughs) And when you see a disciple of Jesus wielding Jesus' power over sickness in the natural world, you've seen something supernatural. When you hear a disciple of Jesus speaking Jesus' wisdom into a natural world, you've seen something supernatural. When you're hearing of visions, dreams, tongues, it doesn't seem natural because it isn't. The sea lions have taken over the prairie. (laughs) And guys, the simple point is that when the Holy Spirit first showed up, the observers were freaking out like we still can do today. But the followers of Jesus were going with it. I want to contrast, this is, I think this is fascinating. I want to contrast the reaction of the disciples at Pentecost to these elements of the expression of the Holy Spirit to the prophet Elijah's reaction to those same expressions of the work of God in his depression on the mountain in the cleft of the rock, okay? So here's what, you know, a lot of you will remember the story, but let me kind of catch you up. Elijah, prophet Elijah, just won a huge victory absolute certain knew how God was going to work. This is really kind of the, 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 the important note for today because it didn't work. Elijah knew how God was going to work and then it didn't work. He thought he knew how God was going to show up and he was wrong. So he gets depressed. He goes up on this mountain. He's hiding in the cleft of the rock. God sends A fire, a wind, and an earthquake, but Elijah doesn't know what God is doing still. And all of those things are things that God has represented himself as or shown up as at some point in the Bible. And Elijah did not, Elijah was, God sent Elijah a fire, didn't he? But he wasn't in the fire that time. Now, sometimes he is. Sometimes he is. Uh, Moses stood before a burning bush and was, just knew he was on holy ground before the Lord. The pillar of fire led the Israelites in the wilderness. Fire shows up here on Pentecost. We see it. Then God sends Elijah wind, but he's not in the wind that day. Elijah's lost. He's literally crying. Sometimes God is in the wind, though, isn't he? He showed up to Job in the wind. The end of Job. He shows up at the first Pentecost. What we just read, he shows up indoor wind. Some words for the Spirit mean wind. He can be in the wind. Then God sent Elijah an earthquake, but he wasn't in the earthquake that day. But sometimes he's in the earthquake. So just because he's not in the earthquake doesn't mean he's never in the earthquake. And just because you thought he was going to be in the earthquake or thought he wasn't going to be in the earthquake doesn't mean you know exactly what's going on with the earthquake. Because... He has been in the earthquake. Remember, you can read about this yourself in Exodus 19. When God came down from Mount Mount Sinai, he came in an earthquake. It's weird, but it's his own world. And if he wants to come down in an earthquake, it's going to quake. Not that day. He shows up later in Acts in an earthquake, if you keep reading the story. 
But with Elijah, God sent those things. And then what did he work through? Still small voice. It wasn't in Elijah's plans. He wasn't in the earthquake that he sent, the fire he sent, the wind he sent. That day he was in a still small voice. And Keller makes the point that God was teaching Elijah, you can't put God in a box. Elijah was depressed, despondent, because God didn't work the way Elijah knew he should work. That's not Tony Hawk. So God gave him an object lesson on a mountain, and Tim Keller said this, as soon as you think you know how God works, you've put him in a box. Whenever you think God has to come as a fire, he'll come as a whisper. And whenever you think God has to come as a whisper, he'll come as a fire. And guys, Tim Keller was a Presbyterian. How in the world do we ever think that we get to decide how God works in his own world? So the diagnostic question for our hearts is, are we going to be more like Elijah on the mountain or more like the disciples at Pentecost? Elijah was miserable because God didn't work according to his plans. The disciples saw tongues of fire on their heads and rolled with it. I certainly don't always get this right, but ever since I realized that God does strange things, whether I think they're the right things or not, I've tried to keep an open posture to whatever the Lord might do. I want to give the work of God the benefit of the doubt. Somebody has a word of the Lord, the word from the Lord for me, I'm going to listen. If it Sounds very different from the Bible. I may not apply it, but I'm going to listen. Does God speak to you in a dream? Man, I hope so. Man, I hope so. I don't know when God is coming with fire or with dreams or with earthquake or with the still small voice, but I don't want to miss him because I've already decided that he can't do what he can do. The pow- he can do anything. The power of the Holy Spirit is strange. Let me take it a step further. So I was told you last week that I serve on a Bible study team that is a, a publishing team that is a, a part of a church staff at a church in California. Just last year, I was at an all-staff meeting at that church, and, a, and an Egyptian woman who used to work at that church, Mariner's Church, now she works at a church in her home country in Egypt. But she was visiting us and sharing her testimony and she shared a story about how friends of hers had just recently, this was last year, helped a Muslim woman meet Jesus. And they had led this, this woman to Christ and her family uh, had decided to kill her because of it, as often happens in Muslim families. So the church that had ministered to her was praying for her deliverance because her family had locked her in their house and they were going to kill her the next morning. And then instead of going to sleep and waking up the next morning, get ready to be uncomfortable. Instead, instead of waking up the next morning to be martyred, she was suddenly teleported out of the house miles away 
to the people who had been praying for her. Do you feel strange right now? Of course that feels strange. Of course that feels strange. Strange doesn't mean not of the Holy Spirit. In fact, it means of the Holy Spirit. It has to be strange. Teleportation is in the Bible in Acts chapter 8. You can read about it. It's there. I did just to make sure it's still there. I read it yesterday. (laughs) And I remember this, this woman sharing with our staff being like, I know these people. They're my friends. I know this woman. God did this. And she told us that she was surprised that we didn't have more questions about it. But we didn't have questions. What we had almost to a person at that huge staff meeting was tears in our eyes and hope in our hearts. It was a room full of people that believed that if God wants to teleport people to stir up his church, then he's more than capable Man, don't put God in a box. Ask him to put you in his. The works of God are strange. And I've just, this whole week, I just want more. Man, I want more. And I've gotten to see some really beautiful things in my ministry. I want more. We're going to pray for more together this week. But guess what? Even salvation is strange. Come on. That's weird. We can get comfortable with it, but we can't say it's not strange. Peter continues to speak in Acts 2. And we're going to look at that next week. And he preaches the power of Jesus' death and resurrection to save sinners. He calls them to repentance. And stone-dead hearts are made alive in Christ. Dead people don't come alive. That's strange. Broken haters of God, Romans calls us, become sons and daughters of God? That's not normal. That's not regular. Strange. Can we be a people who ask God to conform us to his strange and beautiful work? rather than asking him to conform to what we think he should do. What we think it should look like. Let's not be people who demand a whisper when God wants to start a fire, or people who demand an earthquake when he's in the still small voice. Lord, invite us into what you're doing. Fill us with your spirit. Fill this, fill this church with your spirit, Lord. Here's the last thing that I want us to see. And this is the most helpful. This is the most helpful aspect of knowing whether or not you're talking to Tony Hawk. So the coming of the Holy Spirit is theological. The power of the Holy Spirit is strange. And lastly, the work of the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus. Man, it does. It always does. When it doesn't, that's when you can say, hmm. Look back at the text with me in verse 7. They were astounded. Of course they were. And amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who were speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Now skip down to verse 11. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. 
They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So the trillion-dollar question is, what is the purpose behind all this strangeness? And the answer is to declare the magnificent acts of Jesus Christ. To declare the beauty of God, the power of God, the point of the power of the Holy Spirit, the point of the fire indwelling individual believers is to make God non-ignorable and to point people to salvation in Jesus. The wind blew, the fire fell, the tongue started, and the disciples declared the magnificence of God. Peter immediately stood up Do I have your attention? Let me tell you about Jesus who died so that you can live. He immediately called people to repentance and faith in Jesus. And that theme carries forward all throughout, not just the New Testament, all throughout the history of the church. In the very next chapter in Acts, Peter and John, you guys know your Bibles. The very next, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John walk past a lame man. And the lame man says, hey, can I have some money? And Peter says in verse 6, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Lord, give us, get up and walk. But he didn't stop there. If you keep reading in verse 11, he does it again. All the people utterly astonished at this strangeness ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. That's the entire point of all this. The strange, beautiful, powerful work of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. It leads people to salvation. Do we want that? I'm not the only person in this room that wants that. And if so, how do we to assume that sometimes Tony Hawk looks different than we think he does? Let's say that we're willing to be the sea lions of the Serengeti. How do we get it? How can we have it? Jesus, the one who gives this gift, said this in Luke 11, verse 9. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Any of you kids ever ask your parents for eggs and they scrambled scorpions instead? (laughs) If you then, Jesus isn't done. He's funny. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's pretty clear. How can we have supernatural power? How can we have the fire and the wind and the still small voice? 
If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Uh, A few years ago, my family was trick-or-treating. My girls were very young. They were probably not old enough to be walking an hour and a half through a neighborhood. They were four, six, and eight. And their buckets were full. It had been a great night. This was a full-size candy bar type neighborhood. We picked it up. The house, if the houses are far apart, you're going to get a full bar. It's generally how it works. And right before, I mean, we were, the girls were done. It was time to leave. And some guy gets out of a car. He's not in a house. He gets out of a car and just starts giving unsolicited candy, just dropping it in the buckets. And it was like, what are you doing, man? And I don't know which candy he's put in the buckets. So I'm, I'm like, this, I, now we're not eating this candy that we spent the last hour and a half collecting. So I told my kids I was going to throw their candy away and replace it. And one of my daughters asked me if I could afford to buy that much candy. <laughs> and I remember happily telling her, I'm not rich, but you won't believe how much candy I can buy. <laughs> like, I can buy more candy than you could imagine. So I went to Walmart, and I bought several bulk bags, the good stuff. We made a mound on our floor, and when we got home, the girls picked what they wanted into their own piles. And I hope that if my daughters ever think about that night when they grow up, they'll think, how much more? If a stranger will give me a piece of candy in their front door, how much more will my daddy give me a mountain of candy in the living room? And as Jesus would say, I'm an evil father. We can think even more how much more about our heavenly father. That's how the heavenly father works. He doesn't just want to give us the candy. He wants to give us himself. He wants to, he gave us Jesus. He wants to give us the spirit of Jesus. He wants, the the heavenly father wants to put his spirit inside of us, fill us up with us, give us all the power that there could ever be. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The question may not be, Are we empowered by the Holy Spirit, but do we want to be? If we ask, he will give. If we knock, he will open. If we pray, he will deliver. We're his sons and daughters. We're caring. Will you fill up our buckets, Father? Too often, we can become convinced that we already know what it looks like. And we don't. Sometimes it looks like a still small voice. Sometimes it looks like a vision. Sometimes it looks like a sermon. Sometimes it looks like tongues of fire. Sometimes it looks like God welcoming his Egyptian daughter into his arms through martyrdom. And sometimes it looks like teleporting her back to her friends to magnify his name. So this week, we're going we're gonna to run the same script we ran last week because I really enjoyed it, and I think two weeks in a row, we'll work it into our hearts a little bit, except this week, every day at 1130, we're only asking for one thing. How much more?
This week, from 11, my alarm's still set, 11.30 to 11.35, let's ask the Lord to fill us with his spirit. He's given us his spirit. You've got it right now. Ask him to let you have more of his power, to give you insight into what he is doing around you, to give you opportunities to magnify the name of Jesus through his supernatural strength. No matter how strangely it might, I would love it if the weirdest thing that ever happens to you in your, in your Christian walk to date happens this week. Man, I would love it. 11.30, how much more, Lord? Will you give us your spirit? Will you do it? Uh, I'm going to pray for us now, and then we'll have some members of our prayer team up front. Can we believe even in this moment that the Lord wants to work through his spirit in our prayers? You've got a decision that you need to make. You've got a sickness in your family. You've got a burden on your heart. Can we come? I'm going to keep inviting you to the front, and we're going to, here's what we're going to do. We're going to keep adding more people to the front until there's enough people up here that you're convinced that we want you to come forward and pray together. Let me pray for us, Father. You have, all the, you have all the power. You are love. Jesus, you died on a cross to reconcile us to God. You died in our place to restore the presence of God. And I pray that you would give us um, submissive, surrendered, hopeful, joyful, childlike hearts that say, God, you can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do in this church. You can do whatever you want to do in our lives. You can do whatever you want to do in this city. You can do whatever you want to do with this world because it's your world and it's your city and it's your church and it's your life. God, give us, please, we're asking and we're going to keep asking, please give us bigger faith. Please give us more of our hearts that is your home. God, would you lead us? Would you magnify the name of Jesus through us? We pray that together in the name of Christ. Amen.